Well, I titled the sermon, After Darkness, Light, Post-Tenebras Lux in Latin, and I'll say more about that when we get a little farther on in this text, but it really is a beautiful slogan to think about the Christian life in and all that is to come. After darkness, light, light is coming. Daniel chapter 7, verses 19 through 28. For those of you who missed last week, just let me catch us up here. Um, the, uh, the, the images, these beasts were coming up out of the sea, uh, stirred up in the sea of sin, as it were, and four different kings, representing four different kingdoms, um, were brought forward for Daniel in prophetic vision. We saw the first was the lion, and it really pointed to Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Babylon. The second was like a bear raised up on one side, most likely the Medo-Persian empire, Cyrus being the higher, the more uh, glorious uh, strong, fierce uh, bear in view. And then the Greek empire with its four heads and its four wings, swift like a leopard, to conquer the world. And then when Alexander the Great died, his four generals took over for him. And then the fourth beast. Now, as, as, as clear and simple as it may seem in the first three, the fourth one is crazy complicated and tricky. And it is that beast in particular that draws Daniel's attention. He can't stop thinking about this fourth beast. The empire of Rome, certainly back then, in its fierce grip, its iron teeth, its bronze claws, its crushing, stamping feet. But there is a not yet in view. A not yet represented by this little horn with a boastful mouth. Uh, as I called him last week, the little horn with a big mouth that won't be quiet, that just keeps blaspheming and talking and distracting Daniel from the glory of the Ancient of Days. So he continues on to try to understand more about this. Last week we saw him go to an angel and he asked, what's going on? And the angel gives a great sum up of what this fourth beast is and what's it about. And it's basically he's saying these four kings, four beasts, they're four rulers, and then God wins, right? He, he's he's going to triumph in the end. And that's where we left off. Now, let's continue on here in these verses, verses 19 and 20, and, and get a little closer look at this boastful horn. The boastful horn. Daniel says this, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. Again, you, you note this, so it's not just looking backwards anymore. We're, we're seeing an anticipation of something far in advance. If you, if you go from Daniel and then you fast forward all the way to John in, in AD 90, 95, you're talking like 650 years of lifespan difference, and then come to our point in history today. Now you're up in 2,000-something, 2,500 years, and then how long will it be? We don't know. It could be tomorrow that these things begin to unfold in rapid succession, or it could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. So he is looking through this vision into distant future, and he can't stop thinking about this fourth beast. It's exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, its claws of brawn, which it devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And then those ten horns, he just kept thinking about it. The ten horns on the head, and then that other horn, that little horn that came up before which three of them were uprooted, right? And taken out and fell. The horn that had eyes. In my mind, I see beady little eyes. 
right? And the mouth that was boasting and speaking arrogant and boastful things. It seemed greater than its companions. So it may have started small, but it grew rapidly in strength to, to kind of overshadow the others in the coalition, as it were, his companions. This is a, a man who is powerful, violent, ruthless, arrogant, and boastful. Now, he may not start that way. How often do politicians show up as just a normal guy down the road, right? Just, I'm just here. I'm just a regular guy. That is, oh, every politician wants to start with that. I'm just a regular dude, right? Well, this guy is no regular guy, even though he might wear that, that mask. He is indeed the Antichrist, the swift rise of the Antichrist. Now remember here, one of the general themes that reaches into every aspect of the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. So as powerful and as ruthless and as deadly and intimidating and boastful and arrogant as this man will be someday, he is not outside of the sovereign work of God. He is indeed, as all other kings and kingdoms are, raised up by the sovereign hand of God, who is sovereign over even sin and rebellion and evil empires. The swift rise of the Antichrist. Now, when you think about the title Antichrist, it shows up in a number of different places in your Bible. Here is one in 1 John. John writes, as it were, to his, his beloved children, that's us, right, and, and those he's addressing in his original audience, Children, brothers, sisters, as an old man, he writes, now it is the last hour. Think about that. John saw the day in which he lived as the last hour. Imagine our day all these years later. If his day was the last hour, certainly so. That's true of us. That much closer. As you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Now that is the one that we're looking at today in Daniel 7. But then he adds, and now many antichrists have come. And we're all like, what? What does that mean? Well, he says, therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So there is an antichrist, and then there are those who walk as antichrists, who are set against Christ. They say of Christ, no, he is not God. He is not the one who is all-glorious and worthy of my worship. I will reject him, and I will walk against his sovereign rule. I will rebel. I will deny the Father. I will deny the Son. I will be God, and I will worship whomever I please. Now think about through history how many have fallen into this category. It's not only true of those who are on the scene in, in horrific ways, like Hitler how many people were just sure that Hitler was the Antichrist? And, and you can see why. I mean, that kind of behavior, to go after God's people and to, to kill the Jews in mass measure that he did, it makes you think, well, that's Antichrist behavior for sure. There have been many who have fallen into this category. The, the reality is, though, that every unbeliever who lives their life set against Christ is living, as it were, as an Antichrist. One of the most prolific, whom in the coming weeks you'll hear more about, is Antiochus Epiphanes. 
He was one who devastated the people of God of old and blasphemed God in the temple by butchering a pig on the altar to to prove just a blasphemous display of his hatred and his animosity for God. Now, there were many who were sure that he indeed was the Antichrist. But I don't think he was. I think he was a forerunner, a shadow of the one who is to come far, far worse. Far worse. So there is in this phrase even an already and a not yet. There is inaugurated eschatology. I love that phrase. You might think of that in that category. It's inaugurated in that it's already. Jesus has accomplished his work. His kingdom is secure. He is growing his kingdom day by day as people are saved. And he is bringing in his people and his kingdom. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that mean? Well, it means it comes spiritually in our lives as he rules and reigns in us. His kingdom is here. But physically, his kingdom is not yet. We don't see him seated on the throne. That's coming, right? So inaugurated eschatology. It is started, but it is not finished. It is in process. It's unfolding before our eyes. And as we read prophecy, we see that happening. Well, the lion is not laying with the lamb yet, but someday it will. Already not yet. Let's go to Revelation 13. Let me just read through this parallel passage because you have Daniel and John describing the same man, I believe, who is the Antichrist. Revelation 13, this is what John writes. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast I saw, now listen to the descriptions. Again, metaphorical language. We're talking a descriptive language. Look at the combination here. It was like a leopard, like a leopard, so fast, speedy. Its feet were like a bear's. One of the most dangerous parts of a grizzly are those huge claws that can just rip you in half, right? So its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Is there any scarier mouth than the the mouth, the jaws of a massive lion? And to it, the dragon, all of a sudden we're like, what? Dragon? Sweet, there's dragons in the Bible. There's dragons in the Bible. There's one dragon. His name is Lucifer. He is the serpent of old, as it were. The dragon, Satan himself, gave his power and his throne, great authority, this little horn that rises up, this beast. So this man will someday not just be intimidating, powerful as a human being. He will be supernaturally, demonically endowed with authority and power, and he will wield that power for the glory of Lucifer and darkness itself. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but the, uh, the mortal wound was healed. So there's, there's trickery, there's deceivery, but there's also here <laughs> supernatural displays. Now, we know that Satan has been given room to run and, and, and do his thing. In fact, even in Job 1, we see that as God releases Satan to do things, there are things that he is able then to do. As God permits Satan room or gives leash for him to run, In this, there is a display that causes the whole earth to marvel 
and follow the beast in his delusion, in, in, in this deception, in this display of awe and wonder. They worship the dragon, that's Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast. This is that king, that ruler, the little horn. And they worship the beast as well, saying, who is like the beast? Oh, what blasphemous language. Think of how many times in the Old Testament especially, the call is, who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Answer, no one. He is holy. Here, this is an evil, dark holiness being esteemed to this beast. Who is like the beast? And then add to it, and who can fight against it? What choice do we have? Right? We either worship this beast, or we are dead before it. No one can stand before this beast. The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. No, I, I, I don't think there is any present ruler that is descript, being described here. Uh, for those who are convinced that Donald Trump is the, the, <laughs> the beast, I, I don't think so, right? I don't believe so. Haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. How long is that? That's three and a half years. All of a sudden, we're seeing these connection points. Daniel 7 echoes so clearly to connect to Revelation 13. He blasphemed his name, that is God's name, and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed, note that language, it was allowed. The beast, the Antichrist, was allowed by God to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, you're going to see at the end of Daniel 7 why Daniel shudders and grows pale at these words. This is a very difficult season for God's people. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. That is, now note this, this is one of the most spectacular sentences in the Bible. Everyone who dwells on earth, from every people, language, tribe, and tongue, will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world, where? In the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That's, that's the title of the book. The book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And there were names, God's chosen, God's elect. They were written in that book, logged before the foundation of the world, before let there be light was spoken. And if your name is found in that book, you will not worship the beast. You are God's chosen. You will be protected. You will not be deceived or deluded. You won't be surprised. Sometimes people are like, oh, what's the mark of the beast? What if it's the Amazon you know, chip in your hand and, you, and I got it? Or you know, the vaccine, oh no, I got the vaccine. What if I got the mark of the beast? Don't worry. It's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast will be the equivalent of pledging allegiance to Satan. It will be known. It will be chosen. No believer will do that. Why? Not because of us, but because of God in eternity past. Choosing, keeping, protecting, preserving His elect. 
If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Now this is language that is hard to hear. This is hard language to hear. And so John adds this under inspiration. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. If you have to face the sword, face the sword. If you have to die in order not to worship the beast, so be it. Don't take the mark. Don't bow to this satanic king. If God so ordains that he be glorified by the shedding of your blood, so be it. Justice will come. It is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. One of the reasons we study eschatology is right there. For people who say, I don't need to know about the end times. I'm not worried about the end times. God will work it all out. No, you need to know. You need to know what he has given. Now, we can't know beyond that. We don't, we don't try to figure out stuff that is not revealed. No, we stick with what he's spoken. But what he has spoken has a purpose. And one of the goals is that we are strong and that we persevere trusting him all the way to the end. Point of application here is this. We can trust our sovereign God even in the darkest of times. And I'm not just talking out there, right? I'm not just talking about the times that are to come. I'm talking today for some of you. For, for some of you who are dealing with dark days, hard days, difficult days. Trust Him. Trust Him. He is able. He is in the midst of all of that fire with you. He is your sovereign God. He is at work, even in the darkest of days. And He ordains the darkest chapter of His people's experience. He ordains it for His purpose. The Great Tribulation now comes into view. And before we go to verse 21, what I'd like to do is kind of pull back and give us an overview of eschatology. I would just preface this by saying there are many brothers and sisters that we love and know that would differ when it comes to their understanding of the end times, right? I mean, this is not a gospel salvation issue, and it is understandable that there are many differences because we're talking about language that is very difficult to interpret. And yet, we do have a position as a church. We do see in these verses things that really come together and make sense. And, And one of the things that I saw when I came to this church years ago is the eschatology is, that's what I see as well. So here's what we believe and teach as a church. We believe and teach the blessed hope, the personal, imminent, that's a key word, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his redeemed ones and his subsequent return to earth with his saints to establish his millennial kingdom. And then we say this, all mankind, both saved and lost, will share in a literal, physical resurrection. The lost to everlasting conscious torment in the lake of fire and the saints to everlasting conscious joy and blessedness with the Lord in a newly created heaven and earth. Okay? Now, 
that's not the largest statement in our statement of faith, and that's purposefully so. There's a lot more that could be said, but this is the, the gathering point that we share as believers um, who come together to be Good Shepherd Bible Church. One of the ways that you might mark this is, is just to kind of put some of the theological jargon that, by the way, I often forget. When people are like, hey, what do you believe about the end times? I'm always like, oh, give me like a day to refresh my mind. And No, but here is some words that would help put uh, parameters around this as what we believe as a church, what I personally believe as I study and see in the scriptures as well. Progressive dispensational, pre-tribulational premillennialism. Now, let's just say that all together, right? I'm just joking. That is, um, identifiable points of contact that we see in the Scriptures that kind of put this together. So progressive dispensational in the sense that God is, has inaugurated His kingdom. It is unfolding, right? There's an unfolding plan that is moving, and He works in different ways in different times. And the way He's working today is not automatically the way He's going to work in the years to come, and that's, that's in the Scriptures. It's very clear. Pre-tribulational, that's, we believe the rapture is coming. We believe that Christ is coming for his, his chosen, His elect, and that all who are saved will be raptured at an imminent point in the future. We don't know when it's coming, and it will come like a thief in the night, and God will catch up. Those who are dead in Christ will be raised, and we who are alive will be left, left and caught up together with Him in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Premillennialism means that we believe that after a seven-year tribulation, Christ will come with us, His army, as it were, dressed in white, and we will uh, arrive down on the earth to establish a 1,000-year millennial kingdom. And at the end of that, um, judgment will happen. So let me, let me kind of move through. You might get your phone out and take a snap of this. And, and the slide to come. Here's a, here's a glimpse of it uh, in, in kind of summary form. The first coming of Christ initiates the church age. Now remember, to the Jew first and also to the, the Gentile, to the Greek. So the target is the nations. There's nowhere that we, we say, well, we're not supposed to go there. No, we are. We go everywhere with the gospel. And when God ordains that, that He has brought the times of the Gentiles to their fullness, He will rapture His bride, and up we go, and then the great tribulation will begin. We're going to look at that in a second. Three and a half years give way to three and a half years, then the second half referred to as the great tribulation. And then the second coming of Christ, the establishment of a millennial reign, and then eternity. So, here is, to spell it out, what we see in the Scriptures unfolding. Again, I don't have room on this page to give you all the references, um, but this is kind of a summary look at it. The rapture of believers followed by the judgment seat of Christ. This is where believers are standing before the Lord, receiving from Him those words, yes, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. And that which we have done for Christ will be rewarded and the wood, hay, and stubble consumed and uh, then seven years of cataclysmic tribulation on the earth. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls of revelation. Boom, 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 all unfolding. During which there will be a massive Jewish revival. Such that it can be said in Romans eleven thirty six, 36, all Israel will be saved. 
So one of the things that we see is that there is indeed a future fulfillment for God's chosen people, the Jews, that is coming, and they will be saved in mass, such that you could say, all Israel was saved. Zechariah 12.10 also points to it, along with many others. There will be, at the end of this tribulation, massive attack, persecution on God's people by the Antichrist that we're looking at here. At the end of that seven years comes Armageddon and the triumph of King Jesus as we come with him and uh, the victory is won. The Antichrist at this point and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. They are the first to enter the lake of fire, followed by 1,000 years of a visible, personal, uh, material King Jesus on a throne in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning. Beautiful things unfolding there. More on that in the coming weeks. Satan is bound during this time until the very end, which he is released. And then a huge gathering of, of rebels comes from the four corners of the earth. Uh, Revelation 20, you read about this. And then the final battle takes place. God squashes all those who are led by Satan. And Satan is cast forever into the lake of fire. That's a moment, right? That, that's a moment. The great white throne judgment happens here. All unbelievers, both those who are alive at the end and all those who have lived and died in all of time are raised and they stand before the great, great white throne and they are sentenced to the lake of fire forever where the beast, the false prophet, Satan, and all the unsaved will spend forever in the fires of hell. Then a new heavens and a new earth will be created. I believe we, like the angels at the original creation, will watch, watch Jesus do his work. Bam, bam, renovation, creation, all things new. And we will live on a physical, real, material earth with dirt, and trees, and animals. It's going to be beautiful forever and ever and ever. Whew! It's all coming. It's coming. Let's consider the Great Tribulation. These are some dark days for God's people. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. Listen, the horn, this is this Antichrist, this ruler, this horrible pagan man, is going to, at the three and a half year mark, betray a treaty with Israel and go after them with all his force, and he will seek to kill all the Jews and all the Christians in all the world, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. Anyone who names the name of Christ is on his target list, and he prevails. He has massive success in this death march until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High until the, team, uh, the time came when the saints possess the kingdom. That will be quite a day. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise and another uh, after them, arise after them, he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. So this is kind of repeating ground that we've covered just for clarity's sake. 
He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. Nothing will be off limits. He will do as he pleases. He will, he will break and shatter and kill. And they, that is God's people, shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. This is the great tribulation. And it is a dark season to be one who follows the Ancient of Days, and his king, King Jesus. Devastating times for God's chosen people, whether they are Jews who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and been saved by grace, or whether they are Gentiles who are saved as well in this period of tribulation, massive amount of blood will flow. Hmm. Now, there are some who believe that the rapture uh, is, is simultaneous with the second coming, that, that we will walk through this tribulation with all of the others. Um, I think there's a very strong reason to believe that the rapture takes place before the tribulation begins. But I might be wrong. And if that's the case, then we need to make sure that we are prepared for the persevering work that may come. And even if it's not, even if the rapture precedes the seven years of tribulation, it's going to be increasingly dark and hostile and intense. So we don't know how much is going to unfold even before that begins. Hmm. Now the triumph of the saints, verse 26 and 27. The triumph of the saints. But the court shall sit in judgment... And his dominion, that is the Antichrist, shall be taken away and consumed and destroyed to the end. That is an eternal destruction. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, and their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. There is no place where their limit is not uh, full, like the, the rain is established to the ends of the earth, and there is no time uh, restriction on this. It goes forever, as we saw last week. Hmm. There is a certainty that we can have as God's people, a certainty that meets us even in darkest of days, right? There, there is a future coming, and that future is sure. Why? Because God has promised. He is sovereign. He is already there, as it were. He wrote the story, and now he's bringing it to pass. This will unfold exactly as he has said in his word. Exactly as he has said. Now, think about this call to worship that we heard from Revelation 19. This is a glorious day. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horde. This is at the end of the seven years of tribulation. The one sitting on this horse, this white and beautiful horse, is called Faithful. Underline that. Faithful and true. You see those words? You see why those matter to us right now today? Our King is coming 
He won't forget us. He won't fail to come. He is faithful and He is true. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. There is a time where righteousness demands war. And that time is coming where all of those who have been hunting down God's chosen and and, and killing God's people, they will give account to the king himself. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He is the atoning sacrifice and the reigning king. You see the connection. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. In the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here he is. It's all coming together. goes on. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on horses. Have you ever wanted to ride a horse? Christian, you're going to ride a horse. It's coming. I'll be the guy riding backwards like, hey, what's going on, you know? No, but how are we arrayed? Righteous, pure, washed by the Lamb and His shed blood. We are are righteous and we are following Him on white horses. And from the mouth, that is the mouth of Jesus, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread. You want to see a a, a treading? This is the treading of the king in just righteousness and recompense. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that yapping little horn is going to meet his end. He will be silenced forever. That's coming. We're going to be there. We're going to see that. We're going to watch these events take place. Some ask, will we be involved in the fight? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. I kind of doubt it. I think King Jesus is going to take care of business. Then I saw the angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to the birds that fly directly overhead, and he said, Come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Good luck with that. Right? Good luck with that. All the way to the end. Rebellious. Unrepentant. Unrelenting. They gather as one to defeat the king. And the beast was captured with the false prophet 
who in its presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That is a, an earthly, certain future. It's, hap- it's going to happen on this planet. In the valley of Megiddo. It's coming. God wins. That, you just put it short. God wins. Which means, by the way, friends, we win. In the end. Now, the path to get there may be hard. And it may seem like it takes forever. It may be 10 million cries, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, come, come today, oh Lord, come. Before it unfolds. But it's coming. And the victory is sure. There is no uncertainty in it. Even Satan knows this. You realize that? He, he knows this. He's read his Bible. He knows he's going to lose. And he holds nothing back. Now Daniel's distress, verse 28, it's interesting that this vision of hope lands in him in a way that is a struggle. It's distressing. Back next week, we're going to see all the more. Here is the end of the matter, Daniel says. As for me, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. He grew pale, but I kept the matter in my heart. I kept it in my heart. Why is Daniel responding this way? Why does he not just say, yes, God wins? Sweet, that's it. It's all good. We just skate through the park, right? No worries, carefree. No, it lands in him with great uh, weight upon his soul. It is a certain future, yes, but it's also a very somber reality. I think the glimpse that he was given was such a violent crushing of God's people that it just disturbed him. All those people killed who carry the name of Jesus. It weighed him down. Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus said this, In the end times you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So it, when, you, when you see wars and rumors of wars, it's not the end yet, but it's coming, right? There's signs, there's pointers. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay, so, so they're just tremors, as it were. It's just starting when you see these things unfold. Which means it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. They will deliver you. They will deliver you. Believers, not just the apostles, right? That's, that's all who carry the name of Christ will be persecuted. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. They, you will be hated by all nations. 
for my name's sake. Now, if you ask yourself how God is to be glorified in all the ways that He has chosen to receive glory, this is one way. This is one of the ways that He ordains His praise. As His people tenaciously and unwaveringly hold to Him and cling to Him and die glorifying Him. And people ask, do they really believe it? Read the stories of the martyrs. Is it really real? Are, are these just people believing in a fairy tale? Is this some kind of just club, some, some country club, church thing? No. Is it real? Watch how they die. There's your answer. Watch how Christians die. Sometimes we've got to remember that. The way we die proclaims His glory as much as the way we live does. Maybe even more so. It's one of the reasons I love funerals. God gives opportunity for us to testify to His glory and His truth even when we breathe our last. He is glorified. A call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Where are you at today, Christian? Where do you stand? Do you find yourself in the midst of trials that are tempting you to kind of pull back or stay quiet? Listen, days are getting darker. Things are getting more intense, aren't they? We're feeling the pressure more and more. Don't hold back. Don't shrink back. Don't be silent. Be bold. Stand firm. Strong in the faith. Remember that? That call? Stand firm, strong in the faith. Get that armor on. Endure to the end. Post tenebras lux. After darkness light. In Geneva, a place where John Calvin's ministry flourished during Reformation days, oh, the trials, the, just the tumult of, of people being killed and persecuted. This slogan rang out again and again to encourage God's people. After darkness, light. Friends, you can pray that. You can encourage a brother or a sister with those words. They're struggling. The diagnosis is bad. They're having a hard time. They're getting let go from work. They're trying to stand in a workplace where there's compromise. Listen, listen. After darkness, light. It's worth it. It's worth it. Our response this morning. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this was the words of John the Baptist as he prepared the way for Jesus Christ. But friends, those words echo in our day more than ever as well. Just think, the call is repent Repent, turn from sin, run to Jesus Christ. The King is coming and you need to be ready. But remember this, you're not signing up for just a walk in the park. Listen to the King's words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to turn from sin and experience the triumph of Christ through faith in Him, 
and be forgiven and set free to live forever with the king, you're going to suffer. You don't hear Joel Osteen saying that. You hear Jesus saying that. That's what he's saying. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here is a call for the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Where do you stand with King Jesus? Are you ready to meet him face to face? He is coming, my friends. And believers here, be encouraged. Though the days are hard, he's worth it. He's worth it. He is our prize. We get him after the fire finishes and all the dust settles. His glory will shine eternally and we will walk in His light and see His face forever. Let's pray. Father, we delight in this good news. We delight in the certain future that has been recorded all these years before we've even been on the radar screen. Thank You for the gift of these words. Thank you for telling us in advance that, that, that you know what is coming, that you've ordained these days. And then to tell us, Lord, that strengthens our faith today. It prepares us for the trials of tomorrow. Thank you that the future is bright. Oh, post tenebras lux. Lord, we delight in that the light is coming after this season of darkness. I pray, Father, for everyone in this room who names your name, who comes to your son and trusts him as Savior. I pray that they would be strong, rooted, abounding, steadfast in their love for you, unflinching, uncompromising, firm, and delighting in the glory of the King. Lord, I pray for all those around the world today who struggle and suffer, who are persecuted and killed for the very same thing. Oh God, I thank you that you're a God that knows every drop of blood that is shed of your saints, and you see and record every sin committed, and there will come a day when the king will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Oh, until that day, Lord, find us faithful. Find us faithful. Be glorified in our resolute trust in you. And come, Lord Jesus, even so, come. In Jesus' name, amen.